0: All right. So You tune into LaVise and Claville. We're continuing in this special section that we're doing on justice for George Floyd, part five, moving towards solutions. So after the guilty verdict against former police officer, now convicted felon, Derek Chauvin, the question is, where do we go from here? How does the verdict impact America's perception of Black Americans and their encounters with law enforcement? Will local police departments start to police black and brown communities differently? How is this going to impact uh, recruitment, training, law enforcement? And, you know, I think about this because what is really at the root of why these encounters, again, over minor offenses, offenses, like we were talking about oftentimes, end in such drastic results, death, ultimate ultimate, uh, decision you know, to take another person's life. And a lot of it is rooted in the police culture. We've talked about that before, about how it even stems back in this nation originally from the slave patrols, and it has evolved over time. So police culture very much at its root has been about keeping Black people oppressed in place, protecting property, right? And that there's been a... In that process, a dehumanization mindset that is endemic in the culture. And in fact, you know, I argue that what Derek Chauvin was doing in that moment and how he oppressed and had his knee against George Floyd's neck like that was that he was actually indoctrinating his fellow officers into the culture. There were at least two rookies there on the scene. And there were other, he was the senior officer there that was supposed to be training. So very much so what he was doing was showing, okay, you, might, you may have learned about police community policing, respect and total community policing in the academy. But here's, forget about what you learned in the academy. This is how it goes on in the streets. I've talked to several officers, you know, I've been a reporter. Talked off and have several officers that are actually friends, fraternity brothers. I can tell you a uh, former police chief of New York, Philip Banks, good friend of mine. And they will tell you honestly about this issue of the culture and how yeah. when you come out of the academy, oftentimes that once you get out on the street, the word on the street and among, amongst the cops are already out on the beat is forget about what you learned on the And it's like, how can you forget about everything that you learned in academy? Telling you that this is a this is a they are pledging loyalty to this culture that is about dehumanizing uh, black and brown people and indigenous people oftentimes. And this is where the defund the police, abolish police movement is really getting at. I mean, the, the wording of it may have caused confusion for a lot of them. They could have chosen better words because not everybody is saying we don't want police at all. What they're saying is we want a defunding of resources going towards uh, militarization of police. We want uh, police to be funded and trained in ways that they are truly uh, serving the community. And if it causes a reset, like some Communities have done, like Camden, did a whole reset on their police department, had people reapply for their jobs. Mm -hmm. That's what it takes to get at the culture and to root out this evil that is in the culture so that the good cops who really are there to protect and serve, white and black, the good ones that really want to do that, can be able to be predominant in these forces rather than these uh, many bad apples.
1: Yeah, well, I I think you're exactly right. And I would say that the verdict, the guilty verdict of now convicted felon Derek Chauvin for the murder of George Floyd should be a pause. It should be a moment where police departments and communities start to really think about how policing practices And what we call community policing really should go. Mm -hmm. President Obama tried to give police departments an opportunity to voluntarily uh, enact and be a part of creating policing for the 21st century, Mm -hmm. Uh, creating the commission and voluntarily pushing them to participate in this project. Many pushed out, pushed against it. A lot of very uh, uh, conservative areas of policing in our country pushed against it. Uh, and also some of our bigger, bigger cities and urban areas pushed against it as well. Because, again, going back to that culture of what uh, former long-term chief William H. Parker uh, coined as the blue line, right? Mm-hmm. You know, nobody over it, nobody crosses over, nobody goes over it, you know, either way. Um, and that culture itself in every organization, every profession has a culture but some cultures are a bit more rotten than others. Mm. And and we see as, and if those cultures aren't checked, then what happens, then it gets worse, it gets worse, it gets worse. Right. And, we, and we see that a lot now that that this victimization of African-American, Black and brown people by police is not just, it just didn't start happening. It's just being filmed. Right. And it's being shown. You know, we, we talk about how, uh, Rodney King. You know, Rodney King should have really been the wake-up call. You know, you have a camera and a, and a guy who basically just caught it. His wife bought him, a girlfriend bought him a VHS video <laughs> camera. He was just trying it out. Big old
0: camera <laughs> on top of his shoulder. He's just trying yeah, to- it
1: Will. out. Yeah, Will. He just happens to stick it out of the window and catch a, ran- a, a random. Obviously, it's happened more than that because we got right? You know, we talked about how When you talk about, you know, the uh, hot summer, I think of 68, where you have over 150 civil unrest, Uh, history, sometimes call it riots, racial riots, Uh, you know, and we look at these big uprisings. A lot of them were started, I think, every last one by an interaction of police and a black individual. Right. (laughs) You know, so so, you know, this is being filmed and this is action that has been taken over and over again. You know, I go back to Rodney King. I remember seeing those eight officers standing around four taking turns and beating him over and over and over and over again with those, with those billy clubs. Now those, those clubs are reinforced. I mean, it's just not regular wood. Right. Right. Over and over again. And you see the pictures of his eyes and his jaw, you know, they're kicking him and so forth. They're not trying to restrain him. Right. They're not trying to, Hog tie him and put him in pro position. And if they say, oh, he has superhuman strength. And this is a fallacy of They're trying to beat him down and punish him
0: and punish him. Exactly. And, him and teach him, it's, it's this teach him a lesson. How dare you, you know, um, how dare you defy us or whatever yes. the case is. And we have
1: power over you, we have control over you. And, well, you know, I heard one um, person making a comment, said it best. It was a black female. She said, Police departments don't want black men to be compliant. They want them to be submissive. Mm-hmm. You know, they want them to be subjected to that dehumanization that we're talking about. You know, and I and I and I sat there and I listened to that comment. I said, "She's right." I mean, that sums it up because when we take a look at other individuals who are stopped by police, white individuals, and we've seen plenty. You know, you know, filmings on that come across YouTube and social media that shows how police restrained themselves, right? We saw it on January 6th, during the insurrection. They were forbidden. The Capitol Police were forbidden from using aggressive tactics. That's coming out in the 9-11 style commission report. That's what came out in the hearing on Capitol Hill that pushed for this report. They were forbidden from using their more aggressive tactics against a 99% easy. Of course, you saw a speck of black here and there. You saw one black guy standing in the galley. Like, what
0: am I doing here? One, one fool, right. One fool among one fool among many fools, but fools who are terrorists in a sense. And, <laughs> Domestic and you terror. would think and you would think that storming the Capitol is would be a justified reaction of aggressive <laughs> for, force. You would for say, it. okay, Absolutely. just like there was a woman in that in the storming of the Capitol who lost her life. Because as told several times not to storm through this door, not to, uh, you know, a Capitol police officer did fire his, his weapon.
1: And it was and, clear, uh, and it was clear, rightfully so.
0: Yeah. So, so you, the, the thing is, is we have these situations where they are justifiable use of force and there's tremendous restraint. And, and uh, when it comes to dealing with predominantly white encounters with police, But then when it talks about black people encountering police, there's this extreme reaction and we're talking about relatively minor offenses. So when we talk about solutions, again, we got to look deep into the culture of policing that says that that is okay to to come back with an extreme reaction, to come into a situation not looking to de-escalate but looking to dehumanize. And like you said, Absolutely. teach, teach these lessons. That's, that's a number one that has to happen. Um, we also need to have police trained and equipped to deal with situations that are best to dealt with by police. I, I as a reporter who's covered police a columnist who's mm-hmm. dealt with police officers and had opportunities to honestly Sit down with them and understand something about what their world is really like, as well as, like I said, having friends who are police officers. these are human beings. And a lot of times these these men and women they're not looking to come into situations and not survive them themselves. A lot of times, their number one priority is getting back home to their own families, to their own loved ones, right? So a lot of times we're putting police in these situations that they're not really fully equipped and trained for either. One of the worst situations any police officer wants to walk up into is a domestic dispute situation. They don't want to come up in someone's home. They have no understanding of what's in that home, what may or may not be. They they can't control the environment. They have to have their head on the swivel. You got a crowd around. That's not an environment they want to be in. So when we talk about defunding the police and looking at doing policing in a different way, maybe there's a different type of officer, a different type of law enforcement person who's equipped with de-escalation skills and mental health skills that needs to be coming on to answering that call. Uh, Certainly, I know that you don't need police out on the corners answering a call having to do with somebody selling loose allegedly selling loose cigarettes on the corner why why would you want police don't they have better more important things to be focused on more important real crimes you know you know we'll
1: think about that well eric garner was put in a chokehold same words i can't breathe Mm -hmm. and was killed and i'm i say murder even though the officers didn't face any uh uh, charges or or disciplinary actions that they should have really faced. I mean, you had one, I think, went into investigation that put the actual chokehold on him. Um, and I think he uh, lost his job, but I mean, he's, he's still got his freedom. He still has an opportunity right. you know, to work. Right. But loose cigarettes, you know, I mean, I mean, to your point, he lost his life selling loose cigarettes outside of a convenience store before people go in. So basically it was also an economic issue which led to that. And the person inside the store, owned the store, said, oh, no, I can't have this competition. Right. Right. You know, and so, you know, again, back to solutions right now, police departments and policing in America and policing in black communities should not be. First of all, we we have to eliminate the military style. Absolutely. We have to eliminate that. You know, we have to humanize, you know, People living in either white communities, Hispanic communities, Black communities, Jewish communities, uh, Im- other immigrant communities, whatever the case may be, mixed communities—we're all humans, right? There's there's a certain type of crime that and 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 what we call general crime and behavior that happens in all of these communities. So therefore, there should be training that happens, general training. But then, if you're going to police an area that has a lot of a lot of uh, poverty our policing community that has a lot of individuals um, working in what we call the uh, 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 underground economy. And and when I say underground, it, it, I'm not speaking of illegal activity. I'm speaking of people that are washing cars for cash money, right? right. right. You, know, you know, people who are picking up, you know, cans for recycling. You yeah, know, it kind of cash
0: that. exchanges, you know, under the radar of the...
1: Absolutely. You know, so, and we grew up around that, Will. And we, you know, and I still frequent areas, my church in the area. Well, we see, I see this on a consistent basis. Right. So if a person, if I see a person doing something like that, I don't think that they're suspicious. I don't think that we should uh, call the police on them. I'm like, hey, what's up? What's going on? Good to see you. You know, that type of thing. So it's respect, understanding the culture of communities that you serve and police, not policing to a point where you now put them under surveillance and like it's a war zone. Right. It's a community exchange. Will I'm telling you, the more that happens, the more police will get friend a friend friendlier approach by individuals in those communities. Right. They'll see the police as their friend, right? And not as someone coming in, terrorize. And them. what I think is that in the training and in many of the policing
0: that has gone on in different generations, that's not a foreign thing. Police probably are trained. I would think it trained to think that way and to approach situations like that in the academy. But if after you leave the academy, you've got senior officers like Derek Chauvin telling you, forget everything you learned in the academy, and you have the unions that is supporting that kind of mentality, forget everything that you learned in the academy, then that speaks to the culture. That's the culture problem. And that has to be eradicated because we continue to see these incidences that occur are blowing up because of that, that cultural mindset that forget what you learned in the academy. This is how it goes on in the streets. Our job is to suppress and and teach these people a lesson rather than we're here serving human beings. And I argue that it doesn't serve police officers. Well, either it does not serve them. Anytime you dehumanize someone else, you dehumanize a little bit of yourself with each each moment as well. And again, you have police officers who are inside fighting for, because they believe in the craft of community policing. They're fighting for it and they're going up against barriers because of, again, the culture. One of the things we saw that was very positive in the show, in cases that we saw the police chief understand admitting, and and others within the force. The training officers. Yeah, admitting that, look, this is unacceptable. And I think that that's very important, that we have to identify allies within and outside these systems who can work together for what is right, for what everyone really wants, and that is equal justice justice under the law, regardless of what your race is.
1: Absolutely. When we talk about the type of police that are needed, immediately what came to mind was a 1988 movie called Colors. And we know that was based up on LAPD police and interaction with street games, the Crips and the Bloods, and so forth. Right. A scene that sticks out to me is when you have this rookie cop, Sean Peer. He's very cocky. He's ready to rough people up. And he's with a senior officer played by Robert Duvall. And they come on a scene... And immediately he comes up, Robert Duvall gets out of the vehicle, and immediately Sean Penn gets a shotgun, right? He's like, no. He's like, put that up. You know, this, <laughs> this is not how you do it. He goes to the quote-unquote singer, the OG gangster hmm. who's there. Robert Duvall's talking to him. The OG gangster's talking to him. He was like, look, you know, you got these young guys doing X, Y, Z. You know, I want to make sure you keep it down. He's like, don't worry. I'll, I'll you know, get a grip on them, you know. And, and he's like, I appreciate it. And they have a little freely exchange and then they get back in the car, right? And, and he tells Sharpin he said, "Listen, that's not how you please this area, basically. You know, th- that's not how you go into these situations." And that scene sticks out to me. That was 1988, but that scene sticks out to me because what was avoided was another tragedy, right? Right. That's what was avoided, you know. So again, it's that it's it's it's, it's what we call common sense. I call it common sense approach to everyday problems. There is a common sense solution to everyday problems. Now, let's keep in mind, again, a lot of times these these situations can be de-escalated. They can be de-escalated. Absolutely. As a matter of fact, in the um in the recent incident and we talked about this with uh the lieutenant
0: in Virginia. Yeah.
1: Yeah, in 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 in, in uh in, in Virginia in Windsor, where the police captain, even though he said that The lieutenant did not need an apology, which I think was wrong. He should have because he could have found a way to start to de-escalate scrutiny on the Windsor police, which I think he escalated it. Yeah. Uh, He said that his officer missed an opportunity, Gutierrez, to de-escalate. Absolutely. Several times.
0: It was the army officer who was the calm one. (laughs) He was calm. He was calm calm throughout the whole thing. They're standing there, guns drawn, yelling at them and telling, "Yeah, you should be scared." And this—I I mean, come on, what? What? Who is who <laughs> is supposed to be the de-escalator in this situation? That's that's the culture, the culture. And
1: that's a perfect example, Will. You know, uh, when that officer basically was threatening his life, saying, "You should be afraid." At that point, if, if an officer tells me that, it's it's as pitch black as it was. Even though I'm at a gas station. So you are you're on that country road in the backwoods. No, you know, somebody can fire a gun and they probably won't hear it because they're asleep. Yes. You know, that that male not only sticks, not only affects me in that moment, but he affects me anytime I have an encounter with police. And that was a Latino officer dealing with a fellow Latino. That was a
0: Latino officer dealing with an Afro Latino. That was the element there because right. he didn't know whether he's Latino or not at that point. He well, saw a black have, face. But he's a Latino officer that you would think part of why he went into the force was to make a difference in the community. We talk about the need for more but Will, diversification. And yet he is engaging in the same cultural mindset, control, yeah. dehumanize, fear, bring fear to the table.
1: And, Will, you talk about it a lot, you know, being a part of the Afro Latino community. Um, you know, there, you know, this is just not an American problem, right? This is a worldwide problem. Black and Brown people are catching it all around the world, you know, by a system created to systematically discriminate, oppress, suppress, and dehumanize. So I think that when we talk about solutions is not just solution in policing, but it's, it's gotta be a systematic solution, right? Because I believe that the discrimination and the the issues that we, we see in our police departments is not just an anomaly. It's not something that happens in a vacuum. It is a byproduct of the systematic racism and the miseducation of, I believe, and I call it the miseducation of white America, and of course the classic miseducation of the Negro, where we're taught to believe that one group is better than the other. Right. We're taught to believe that one group is human and another group is subhuman. We're taught to believe that one group should have another group should not have we're taught to believe that one group can do wrong and get away with it and another group cannot we're taught to believe that the system works for one group and not others right. and when we're taught to believe that it, and it's reinforced by images that we see throughout our 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 culture television advertisement. throughout all of our lives all of <laughs> all our, lives. our lives <laughs> You know, again, it it becomes a systematic issue, a systematic approach to finding these solutions. Now, we got to start, you know, in policing. And of course, some corporations have started acknowledging their role. Some institutions have started. We talk about the movement of universities and slavery, acknowledging Mm -hmm. their history. Georgetown University is one that really made a strong push to acknowledge their uh, past transgressions and to make it right. You know, amongst them, as a matter of fact, the president of Georgetown University actually traveled to the plantation. And I talk about this. It was the plantation was located behind uh, the university, Southern University, HBCU, the only university with a uh, five campus system. You know, it sold to that plantation in order to keep the university afloat, Hmm. you know, and they went to those ancestors. I mean, the uh, the the descendants of those slaves Hmm. uh, former slaves and uh, where they were buried and so forth. We have corporations who are acknowledging, you know, their past past transgressions, and they're starting the conversation. So conversations are good, but we need policy and we need action.
0: Absolutely. And that's where you know that I'm, that's one of my pet peeves is that we keep talking about conversation, conversation, and I think about with Harriet Tubman trying to have a conversation? I mean, she was trying to get slaves free. And she went and did it Um, with the the Massachusetts 54th was talking about having a conversation (laughs) Was the the Harlem Hellfighters talking about having a conversation. No, they went, took up arms, went and took action and fought for this country. So how we are, we've been sort of duped, I believe, to a certain degree into saying that we want to have this conversation is beyond me. If you're looking at the arc of history that you just broke down. So deeply talking about how things have happened from generations to generations that have led us to this point. Why are we talking about having conversation? What we need is another action. thing we need, action, an example of action. You talk about education, you spot on is we need an education system that gives us a deep dive into undoing the racism that has been done. There are so many Absolutely. stories, there are so many <laughs> situations that have happened that has just been buried in history,
1: right? And we need to really do- Tulsa a, riots. To, the, 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 the Tulsa riots many. Well, you know. well again, we, we call it the Tulsa riot, but it wasn't a riot. It was the Tulsa massacre.
0: Yeah, the Tulsa massacre. I mean, so we need to do a deep dive into, there are groups that do this work of undoing racism or really- doing a deep dive into deconstructing how racism has been developed, how it is affecting us, how it has affected us individually and corporately, and the things that we need to do in our individual lives to undo it, to be aware of it. So when you're interacting with friends, when you're interacting in your companies, when you're interacting at your church, you understand how to play a role in undoing it. There are organizations that do this. And so when you mention companies, companies should be engaging in this with their employees. We should be engaging in it in our educational institutions so that people are not coming up saying, how do you how do you come up in the city of Tulsa and not know about the Tulsa massacre? How do you... But the education systems has been intentionally done, uh, constructed in such a way that that becomes ignored. So the more people don't know about it, the more they they figure it doesn't matter. But then all of what we're dealing with now in our society with lands that have been taken from people, all of that has a very real effect now. Because if you had land taken from you generations ago, that was all of that up until now, for example, is missed opportunities of generating wealth, from that land. So there's a direct connection to these things. So when people are talking about reparations, that's a direct connection. It's not just about going all the way to slavery and whether you can find descendants. You can talk about reparations just looking at some recent uh instances that have happened, like in the 50s and in redlining and people being prevented from being able to acquire business loans or, or acquire land or having land taken from them. Those are the types of things where you talk about change, doing a deep dive, an honest dive into those things and really re-educating ourselves out of this lie that, as you said, one group of people, just because of skin color, is supposed to be better and always in a higher position and station, higher level of the caste system than other groups of people. It's, it's, It's a lie and it doesn't serve us well as a country at all. It doesn't.
1: Well, you're exactly right. And I think as we talk about these solutions, I think what not just African Americans and Black Americans should do, but America itself, is that we ha- we have a moment. Mm-hmm. This is, you know, this this moment, I think, will not come back again if we don't take advantage of it right now. I mean, we'll probably have to see another, another century uh, before we see some type of moment like this. This is our opportunity. This is our time, our time to push, our time to move, our time to understand that our past wrongs are keeping us from moving toward a more prosperous, a more inclusive, more respectable, and a better future for America and Americans living in it. Amen. So I hope that we do. Take a pause. I hope that we do take this opportunity to really understand, you know, each other from a humanity standpoint. Because at the end of the day, discrimination and racism is not a black problem; it's a humanity problem that was created by, again, a white Americans who wanted to keep African Americans and other people uh, of color down. So, again, you know, there's so much more that we could talk about. And of course, we'll deal with this reparations and other issues and uh, policing in the 21st, 20th century uh, in the future. But we got to close this out. So thank you again for joining us for this special series of Justice for George Floyd Moving Towards Solutions. Uh, If you like this, again, follow us on our social media at Levite and Claville. Follow, like, share, comment on Facebook and other social media. Thank you to Ben Bailey, our producer. For all that he does. And to us, that's the way it is. We'll see you next time.